Hey guys, there was a part of me that thought maybe we're finished talking about tradwives. Maybe it's over. It's over. Walk away. Find something new to talk about. But I keep getting so many messages from all of you about this kind of content, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, and their influence keeps growing and growing. That we're going to do one last story. One last story. And I have a guest today that I adore so much, so much. She recently wrote a story for The Cut. She writes a column called Brooding. Her name is Catherine Jeezer Morton. And her story was titled, Is Tradwife Content Dangerous or Just Stupid? Such a good question. Such a good question. I first met Catherine years ago when I started this podcast, when I was really digging deep into the early days of mom influencers. She's one of the few academics who has been taking this very seriously. See, Catherine actually received her doctorate in sociology from Concordia University, where she studied mom influencers and their impact on culture. She's so smart on this subject and on parenting in general, which is why she now writes the brooding column for The Cut. I just, I had to have her on to talk about this question, are trad wives dangerous? Or again, is their content just stupid? Now, I have a lot of thoughts on this, and, and we're going to dig into it. But I do want to say up front that I believe it is dangerous because trad wife content portrays an unrealistic version of the actual labor of motherhood. It also often portrays an unrealistic version of the actual labor of homesteading and farm work. It also seems to be dividing us in a lot of ways, and it has, and it has definitively breathed new life into the mommy wars that's pitting women who work outside the home against women who work inside the home. We are going to get into all of these things in this episode. But first, actually, Catherine opens up with the story of how her and I first met in person in real life, because before we just talked on the phones and on the computer. Uh, and it just so happens that she found me at a mom influencer conference. I feel like I want to recall how I met you because you looked, you were so amazing. You were sitting at the bar eating lasagna, wearing yes. the amazing dress caftan something you were very pregnant and i was pregnant i was pregnant yeah i must meet this woman because you just you were really um you were in command of this scenario if i was like damn that's how to do it um that's how to do it just you know leave the conference and go have some bar lasagna yeah yeah so that's i mean that's like one of my top tips for life if you are hungry and i was i was oh my gosh yeah um, the funny thing is, while I was sitting there, either before or after I talked to you, I totally got hit on by some, like, hot young Australian dude who didn't realize I was pregnant at the time, um, who just wanted me to, like, party with him all night. And I'm like, this is what confidence will do for you. If only I could have told my, like, sad-ass 29-year-old self this story. Yeah, no, that's that's the trick to everything. It's the trick yes. to everything. It really, really is. It totally is. I have about a thousand things that I want to talk to you in this episode about, but I, I feel like I have to narrow it down. Tell our audience about your mom influencing research. And you were 
you were an expert in the very first season of Under the Influence. You were in the trenches. How did you how did you get get to be that person? Yeah, so I did a PhD in sociology and I finished in 2022 and I studied Um, You wrote a piece recently that I want to talk a little bit about for the cut for your brooding column that was entitled, Is Tradwife Content Dangerous or Just Stupid? Can we yes. talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So that was actually, I feel like you had gone deep into trad life right before I wrote this. This was in your trad life deep dive moment. And I think right around the same time, Sarah Peterson and Anne Helen Peterson and you and I all hit the trad wife, um, you know, topic. And I remember thinking to myself, damn it, well, you know what? No one wants to read about this anymore because those guys already covered it. But like my editor wants me to write about it and it's kind of my beat. So like I got to do it. But I have a feeling that like this, you know, this train has left the station and no one cares. How wrong I was. That piece did really well. Tons of traffic, like definitely one of my top of the year, um, which indicates that people really are fascinated by this and like want to read and understand it, which um, is something that I think I was underestimating at the time. But there was a question of, is this bad for women? Right. Like, is this content mm -hmm. dangerous? Does it does it give young women on TikTok like bad ideas about what it is to be a mm -hmm. mother? And I think I was just kind of feeling like, you know what, like this behavior is so ridiculous. You really do have to be incredibly impressionable to think I'm going to do this. What did you go into this article thinking? And then I want to know what you came out of it thinking. I think I went in feeling like, you know what, this can't be a threat to us. Like we can't be this vulnerable to the influence of traditional femininity. I just, I don't know. I was like, guys, this isn't for real. We can't, we can't worry. Um, I was feeling indignant, I think, about this content and the idea that, that it posed a threat to young feminists. I was like, no, we've come too far. Obviously, this is like the road to hell is paved with, no, we've come too far, right? Like, that's never true. I saw that you also talked to Neha Roosh, who has been talking about this a lot. She's the founder of Mom Untitled, a group that's working to redefine the ideas around stay-at-home motherhood. She was like, you know what, this really sucks because a lot of stay-at-home moms are actually, you know, business people or people working on projects that they're very passionate about. And they're not at all these traditional versions of housewives. And like, we have to come up with a better idea of what it means to be a stay-at-home mom because this version is like really demeaning and also totally unrealistic. And I was like, oh, that that really does make sense. And I kind of became I became very sympathetic to like the stay-at-home mom uh case for this, you know, that yeah, they've been sort of there's been this kind of fake war between the work outside of the home moms and the work from home moms. And these trad wives are kind of exploiting that like fake uh, conflict. And that pissed me off. So so I got on board with the discourse. And and I do think that it's a lot of this content is in bad faith. I think it's exploitative. I think it's exploiting people's feelings for various reasons. I think that's so interesting that you went into it one way. And I'm going to tell you, I went into it the same way. I'm like, whatever. Like, this is just dumb. Right. These women, are these women, do they actually believe it? Are they just performing this? 
that I came out of it after talking to so many experts, really believing that the the images that we see and the content we consume impacts us whether or not we're realizing it or not. Um, and even less than, there's one argument. There's one argument that says, oh my gosh, these women are going to drag us back into this false sitcom version of the 1950s. I think that could be a possibility. I, unlike you, do think that young women are wildly impressionable about what their future should look like. And so I think that that content is dangerous in that way now. But more than that, I agree with Nia that I just think it gives the wrong idea of what it means to be a mother. It strips the idea of motherhood of all of its unseen, really hard labor and makes it look like it's just beautiful and clean and easy and sourdough kneading all the time, which is fucking wrong and not true. Yeah. And, you know, I also I did say this in the piece because I I'm not sure that it would have been interesting to people, but I realized afterwards that it is kind of a cyclical thing where when I was um, just a younger mother, you know, and I'm going to say like 2013, 14, I was looking at like really picture perfect Instagram stuff and it was it was messing with me and, and I found it super alienating. And I think I just outgrew it. Um, and like now that kind of content doesn't like really affect me as much. But there are younger mothers who are very much in that vulnerable place. And I just was cut. I'd sort of forgotten about them. I wasn't thinking about what it's like to be, you know, up with a newborn and, you know, you're on this, you're like brief maternity leave and, and you don't know what you're doing. Um, so I think that it was a moment where like I sort of lacked um, the compassion or something that I like should have been bringing to the situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, yes, I think that it is dangerous any time that we're not showing the actual labor involved in being a woman and being a mother. And that's my biggest issue with the trad wives. Really, it is. And the trad wife content, ever since I've been talking about it, I've become this like, unexpected expert on, on trad wives, which is a weird place to be. I was a trad wife for Halloween, which was, took a lot of explaining in my Philadelphia neighborhood, I will tell you. I was, finally, I was just like, I'm a pioneer woman. Right. We are going to take a quick break. Be right back. You opened your piece on The Cut talking about Gwen the Milkmaid, who is fascinating to me. Could you tell me a little bit about Gwen the Milkmaid? Yeah, so she was an ASM artist, and she... What um, is an ASMR artist? So prior to, prior to this trad wife content, she was something else on the social media, right? Yeah, Yeah. so an ASM artist is usually a YouTube creator who, um, like, whispers and creates little sensory sounds, and people like to listen to them for relaxation. And there's often a little bit of a kind of a sexy girl, um, you know, appearance vibe, but like it's not necessarily about that. So that was what she did. And I think she was she was kind of bisexual, was part of like her story. And, you know, she was kind of like a young, exploring herself person. And she during the pandemic, it kind of took a turn and she went from this kind of crunchy uh, persona to like a much more 
sort of, uh, you know, she went the kind of anti-vax the, the, when, when the crunchy kind of turns rightward. And now we don't trust the government. And now we're kind of going to move to the countries that we can become more self-sustaining. And she doesn't live on a farm, but she was kind of talking farm word in her in her like ideology. And then it was like, oh, and now I'm going to be submissive to my boyfriend. So she she just we watched her kind of go on this ideological journey, which actually a lot of people have done, especially in the influencer space, the kind of wellness influencer um space and around covid too this you know it was often started was kind of anti-vax or, or vaccine kind of skeptic and then it kind of went joe rogan and etc so yeah so she took a turn and now and now she's doing this like very sort of um you know like like a dewy gauzy filter almost like very boobs very blonde very trad uh like i'm looking after my boyfriend but we don't see the boyfriend and there there are people who are like is like is the boyfriend real? And it does actually, one of the things that's funny to me about trad wife content is that because there are almost never any men in it, and sometimes there aren't even that many children. Um, and so it's like, you could conceivably do trad wife content without children or a partner, because that's really the only realistic way you could act out that reality. Like when you're not actually caregiving, you know, like as soon as you're actually doing work, it's very hard to sustain that appearance. It's tr so true. Right. I mean, I was um, I put on a, a tank top today for no reason whatsoever because it's freezing here and noticed that the tattoo that I wore when I did a triathlon last weekend is still on my arm because I don't know how well I've bathed myself in a week, much less done my hair or fed myself something nutritious or baked some sourdough. And I think that's what everyone's thinking when they're looking at Ballerina Farms account. It's where's your help? And so, yeah. and I think whenever anyone's looking at any of, any of these accounts, I don't believe that any of these women are doing it on their own. And again, then they're making it seem as if people who do have help, um, who do have parents or relatives helping or who hire a babysitter or a nanny, they're somehow not the same level of mom that you are. That makes me so distraught. And I actually, I wrote about this in my old newsletter, which was really just about momfluencers, about how we never see help in any momfluencer content of any kind, let alone trad wife content. And it's really just because it it's hard to incorporate helpers into like a cute story if we're using the narrative framework of the nuclear family. Like, oh, who is this person? Like, we see this person occasionally in pictures. Who are they again? And then like often like helpers wouldn't necessarily want to be, you know, have their picture taken. Like, they're not there to look nice. Like, they're there to help out. So, I mean, I can only imagine, like, being someone's nanny and being like, no, you are not taking any pictures of me. Like, I mean, that being, like, their call, right? I mean, I can't imagine wanting that for myself. So I don't know. I will, I will, I will tell you that our babysitter loves having pictures taken of her. And, in oh, fact, have my, has my ring light right now, so I can't use it because she <laughs> loves pictures. So much. The reason that I actually keep um, our babysitters and caregivers and even my mom off of our social media is that I don't want people to follow them um, because I don't want people to know where my kids are because it has, I mean, I'm like not a public figure, but it has happened a couple times that weirdo creeps at the playground have known who my kids were. Uh, and so I don't really want them to be able to 
follow my caregivers like Instagram to where they're going. But I don't think that that is the reason that caregivers are so often left off of these mom influencing feeds. Me neither. I mean, let's be honest. It's because it just doesn't look as alpha to have help, um, even though it's really what like everyone needs and most people do. Um, well, and it would normalize it, right? It would normalize that we all need help, that we all need help, that we all need someone else watching out for us, watching out for our kids, that no one can do it all. And that's part of the reason that I think the trad wife content is so dangerous, because I think it it makes it seem like, of course you can, of course you can do all of these things. Of course you can have this beautiful house and cook all these things and raise your kids and not need any help. And so that just negates, you know, the fight that we're constantly fighting for women to have decent childcare. Absolutely. No, the child care question and when it comes to actually like mobilizing around policy, it's so damaging that it just kind of neutralizes the urgency when all the pictures that you're enjoying are, um, you know, have nothing to do with the need for child care. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, actually, this is interesting. Like, I'd like to leave this up to our listeners. How can we make it more normal to talk about child care and to talk about our villages and talk about the help that we need on, I mean, all mom mom influencing social, social media, but especially on our own social media, how can we normalize that? Like, I mean, I'll happily show more pictures of my entire daily routine that involves 20 to 30 to 40 child care hours a week, depending on what I'm working on, right? Um, and my mother and my freaking mother. Like, I moved, I moved home to Philadelphia because my mom is here, and if my husband goes out of town, she's here. Like, I'm not doing three-on-one. I have help. I have so much help. Um, and I mean, maybe we should have, I remember when I was going to create that women stay off the internet, and it didn't work because women wouldn't do it, and they wouldn't quit it. But maybe we should have <laughs> a, a day where it's we all show our village. We all show exactly how much help we have doing this. I think that's an amazing idea. I also think, I mean, I, I've thought a lot about this, and it's like the types of pictures and stories that we are accustomed to consuming. This is a little bit going back to like my future book project idea is we're used to the certain kind of narrative. What is a good day? What is a fun day? Um, what am I proud of? And being like, and this is my help. This is, these are the people that are part of this with me. It just doesn't, it hasn't historically in our little short internet history had a place in these stories at all um we just don't do it and then i think maybe people are like well this is going to be like eating my vegetables you know it's like and here's the the content where i dutifully show all the people who make it possible for me to do my work right and what i would love to see is a way for us to tell that story in in a way that is actually like really fun do you know what i mean like and that's so challenging like this is going to be for us to figure out how to do because I don't think that any of us want to, like, it turns into virtue signaling, right? Which is that we're all, I think, very wary of at a certain point. Like, oh, you just want everyone to know how good you are. No, but this is how I really am. Like, this isn't how good I am. This is just my actual life, right? So how do we, like, bring in yeah. all of this care infrastructure into the stories of our lives in a way that are like, it's like, yeah, I'm having fun. I'm just, I'm just doing my life and, and it looks like this, you know? Right, right, right. As opposed to the virtue signaling, which I hate, which makes me want to die on Instagram all the time. There's way too much virtue signaling. I don't know. I mean, is it just like a mom gleefully dropping dropping her baby off at daycare and then just standing in line to get to get her macchiato or whatever because she is child free? 
for the rest of the day. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how how to better show all of the things it takes to be a mom. Or well, and it, you know, it's the same thing with uh, with partnerships. And Eve Rodsky has done such a good job with this uh, when it comes to division of labor. Like we don't see division of labor on social media or really even in pop culture or in literature or or anywhere. Um, so if we don't see division of labor between husbands and wives, men and women, then how do we know how to model it? And if we don't see how to integrate caregiving into our lives, how do we know how to model it? Absolutely. No, it is one of those things. Division of labor be- being a perfect example of, um, you know, like in therapy, you know, my therapist finally was like, so what was it like between your parents and, you know, division of labor? And I, I had to realize, like, I don't know anything other than what I saw. It really is just that simple. Like, you see a thing, you're like, and that's what I know. And everything else is is you're kind of trying to learn something new. And I think that applies to the way we tell our stories online. Um, I I feel like so many of us are just, like, kind of grasping in the dark at how to do equitable house stuff because we've never seen it done before and but also we feel like failures when we're not doing it which is a real I mean it's such a, I mean I know this has been written about a lot but it's something that I have so many feelings about that I actually struggle to write about it because it's too emotional like I can't get the um kind of editorial distance that I need to actually write well about household division of labor well, and so this is, uh, let's bring it all back. This is why I think trad wife content is dangerous. Because if the husband, the father, is ever pictured, he's never pictured doing work or labor with the children. I mean, he may be doing farm labor, or but most of the time he's just standing there, like looking like a kind of classically handsome Ken doll, um, like being just a macho man in the background. Like he's not participating and that right there is where I think that this trad wife content gets dangerous. Me too. I want to take a minute, though, and shout somebody out. There's a momfluencer named Becca Martinez. Do you know who she is? Oh, yeah. Everybody loves Becca Martinez. And I I, I just started following her. And um, everyone keeps telling me I should have her on the show. I should have her on the show, oh, you right? You totally should. She's awesome. She's great. Um, Yes. Yes. She's really fun. I, I only bring her up because, and you know, her content, like a lot of the time she's, she's transgressive. A lot of her content is no offense, Becca. I do really think you're awesome. It's like a bit boring, like almost on, on purpose. She's like, no, this is going to be boring and you're going to watch it anyway. And I'm like, you're right. I am. Um, so she's on to something, but her husband is this guy, gray, something, something. And he is this kind of bro. He's like a rock climbing instructor and he's around the house a lot. And we see them co-parenting a lot in her content. And it's remarkable in the sense that I can think of basically no one else who does this. So it's very rare. But um, when I see her doing that, I'm like, okay, see, it looks like this. You know, the thing is, you do kind of need a partner who is a bit of a performer. Like, he's a ham. He he knows how to, He's first of all, he's very cute. Um, and he knows how to, like, do it for the camera. Like, he's funny. A lot of us who love to make content might have a partner who's very offline, like myself. My husband doesn't want to be part of my content. So that does put a little, you know, you you need two partners who are kind of up for it as part of it. Totally. My husband, I usually just don't tell him when I'm about to have him on the podcast. I'm just, I just start recording. And then later on, he's like, were you recording me? And I'm like, 
Yes, I was. Sorry. <laughs> apologize. Don't do not ask for permission. Just apologize later, which I which I which I do get. But then at the same time, we're not seeing we're not seeing what men do. We're just I mean, really, it's just so much sourdough kneading is what it is. No, I know it really is. And there's it's it's incredible that we can watch this that this a narrow slice of life in the trad wives world. It just it is incredible that they managed to kind of make that they stretch it out to so much content, but it's like so little of light. It's amazing. Really, it's like right, wow. like actual, like so little of actual life. Oh my god! All right, so yeah, I am, I am following Becca Martinez. Um, and she's, she's like, um, what can I say about Becca? I mean, she's she's crunchy, but then also like she's, I, I find her fascinating. She's very, she can make herself up, and she does like a full face. She really knows what she's doing with makeup, which is something that I don't. So I'm like, I admire her so much for that. But then also often she's kind of very like she doesn't shave her legs which i know is like a big deal for a lot of her followers um she kind of it's, Wait, it's really really her, her followers freak out because she doesn't shave her legs so yeah i think so i mean i've never like gone and found the receipts but she indicates that people often are like why don't you shave your legs and she's like i stopped shaving my legs years ago guys like get with the program um and she actually has like hairy legs is the other thing i'm like Okay, not shaving your legs, but you like have little blonde hair. That's not the same thing. I want to see her suit. Not the same legs. thing. No, 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 no. Because if She's, I didn't shave my legs, legs, I would be a yeti. I would same. be like just yeah. So not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think there's a difference between not shaving your legs and having like little like soft blonde fuzzy hairs. Uh, yeah, like I or O'Rourke from Rudy Jude. I bet she doesn't shave her legs, but you know what? It, you, can, you can't tell. Like she's a blondie, so she doesn't get credit for that. But, um, you know, uh, Becca Martinez, she's she's charting a slightly different path. And I I do commend her for it. It's not easy. Easy. I'm sure it's easy. She makes a lot of money, but she's doing something, you know. Well, and that's that's what I that's that's another thing that I want to talk about. You know, I I do find a lot of the trad wife thing kind of a farce because they're saying I'm submissive to my husband. I don't work outside the home. But if you're a successful trad wife, you're making money on your content. So you are therefore probably making quite a bit of money. And it just it is completely counter to what you are claiming is your ethos. Yeah, of course. And everyone knows on TikTok, like when you have a creator account, like you're you're starting to make money. I mean, I don't know. It is. I think that's one of those things where it's obvious and they're just choosing not to address it. Um, and also, like, I think, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, that's it's a contradiction that I think they have just, they're comfortable with because it's money, right? Like, no one's going to say no to that. Um, not even, like, that's just one of those things that it's like a religious imperative. If you're given the opportunity to earn, you will earn. Exactly. Totally. Absolutely. I mean, if I thought that I could make so much money off sourdough making, I would definitely give it a try. But no one wants to watch me make sourdough. But if they were like, I'll give you lots of money to make sourdough, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I want all the money. But that's, you know, that's always been the big question for me with Ballerina Farm and Hannah Nealman, is that those guys are people for whom money is literally no object. They're very, very, Truth. very wealthy. And so I do wonder, and I would love just some, like, some conservative or, like, Mrs. America, some outlet to just interview her. Like, if she would just speak to someone. Why are you doing it? Because a lot of the time, she doesn't look like she's having fun. She looks exhausted. And I'm like, 
you don't need to be doing this anyway. Like, what's the motivation? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? It's not for the money. Like, it just isn't. Those guys are rolling in cash. Um, Maybe they're not. Maybe actually their lifestyle does seem fantastically expensive and they're constantly expanding their operation and like, oh, we built a new barn. I'm like, that barn is like, you know, it's like a half a million dollar barn. Um, and then you heat the barn. Like, well, I'm thinking about like the the bills, and I'm like, okay, maybe you know. But also, maybe I you need that. Really maybe you need it. that trad wife money, man. May I say one other thing about her? I've, she, yeah. I know it's 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 perverse how much space she takes up in the world of momfluencer uh, expertise and and sort of critique. There is someone spoke to me off the record while I was doing my PhD. No one will speak on the record about this about the perverse incentive that exists when you're creating content to have more children. She was like, listen, your engagement spikes after you have a new baby, usually like pregnancy announcement to six months. You, your numbers are unbeatable. And then they start to go down again after the, the baby gets to be like a year and then plus and then no one cares. And at that point, if you are trying to hit certain income targets, you have to have another kid in order to maintain your numbers. And she was like, listen, I'm not trying to say that people are having babies to earn money, but I'm also not saying that that isn't absolutely a dynamic that exists just because it does. Like, it's the facts, right? And so, again, like, she just had another baby. And I know those guys have religious faith that's a huge part of this, but also it helps the engagement and the income. And that is the very definition of a, of a perverse incentive to do something. And totally, totally. And you know, a lot of people have said that to me off the record, too. No one wants to say it because no one wants to say mo babies, mo money. But we all know the truth. It's mo babies, mo money. So, yeah. Of course. Yeah. We are going to take a quick break. Be right back. Another woman that you talked to in your piece for The Cut was Beth Gantz, who is an actual homesteader, a real-life farmer. And, and Beth thought that a lot of this content was dangerous, not because of how it portrayed motherhood, but because of how it portrayed farming and homesteading. Again, like the unreality of what they're showing us. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, she's rad. She's just like kind of a regular person not trying to be an influencer, but she has like a a little account um, about her homestead. Like she quit her job to like start doing this farming. She's a flower farm. She lives in Michigan. And yeah, she's like, this is really hard work. And so much of the work of it has to do with sharing with the community, learning from people, getting help, helping other people. Like the rural way of life has always been a very interconnected one. Because it's a matter of survival. Like, you need to ask for help all the time. And a lot of this content, of course, doesn't acknowledge any of that, as we've just talked about. And so it's a really bad representation, not only motherhood, but of just, like, rural living. Um, And I thought that was a very compelling argument because a lot of people don't have any sense of what it's like to live in the country. And it's expensive to have, Mm -hmm. like, a pretty lifestyle. Like, you know, there's not a lot of jobs. There's not a lot of money, not a lot of, you know, generational wealth necessarily. So all of these things should be kind of taken into account. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I heard this from so many 
farmers and homesteaders, actual farmers and homesteaders. And one of the things that Beth says in your piece is that a lot of these homesteading skills that are are glorified on Tradwife accounts are actually rooted in people who were in poverty, who were doing these things not because they thought it would look nice on social media, but out of necessity. You know, making quilts out of leftover t-shirts and rags or making your own sourdough bread because bread is expensive. And that is also ignored in a lot of the Tradwife content. Now, I don't believe that we constantly have to be giving the entire history of how something was done, but I do think that it is putting a fancy, pretty spin on something that so many people continue to do out of necessity. And I do, I do think that that is dangerous. Absolutely. I mean, it's like commodifying activities that were at one time necessary so as to, like, you know, avoid com- commodification, avoid commercialism. Like, I can't afford to buy it, so I'm going to make it. And now it's like, well, now I'm going to make that into a product. I mean, it is like classic capitalism eats everything, including anti-capitalism. Uh, yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's really um, it's disappointing on multiple levels, the whole Tradwife thing. It's really true. It really is. And you you say something that has stuck with me since I read your column. You talk about the aestheticization of care. I'm going to I mean, that is a hard word to say. It's a hard word to spell. It's a hard word to say. Aestheticization of care. Um, and or I I, we could we could say it the simple way. Pretty prettifying care, prettifying care, yes. and how trad wives obscure how exhausting it really is and reinforce these outdated gender norms. That's that's the issue. I think they are prettifying, prettifying so many things that in real life are not pretty. Yeah. And, and then I do think that it robs us as an audience, as the ability to imagine like a you know, beautiful, interesting, meaningful life experiences that aren't pretty, which is so limiting. It's to me, it makes me really sad to think of like younger people thinking that, you know, a party or a birthday or a celebration has to look a certain way in order for it to be fun. I I just it it honestly brings me to despair. Um, I think about those balloon garlands. For some reason, those balloon garlands really really send me to a dark place, which is really unfair because there's nothing wrong with them at all. And <laughs> they're very cheerful and fun and like, I need to get over it. But I'm like, you know, there are kids who are like, well, if there isn't one of those, then like, it's not a party. Like people didn't make an effort. And I'm like, you know, there's so many ways to like show your love and show your care that are, can't be captured in a picture. And I worry that like younger people aren't able to, they're not like growing up with a very robust sense of what those things are. Totally, totally, absolutely. I mean, for me, it's like, all right, motherhood, but make it cute. Homesteading, but make it cute. Potty training, but make it fucking cute. Yeah, I have no interest in any of that. For me, personally, I have, I, I was brought up in a very, very uncute environment um, by hippies. Actually, now it would be an environment that would probably be very cutified because it would look good on Instagram, even though it was actually very disgusting, like at the at the tactile level. Um, but cuteness is not something that's ever been a part of my like um, dream, my like set of dreams, my mood board, the things that I'm aspiring towards. So I've never struggled with the like, it should be cute and it's not. I'm doing it wrong. 
But I think for a lot of people, it really is that. And I'm like, that's just a tough road to hoe. I mean, it's really, it is, it's a terrible, it's a terrible thing to kind of lay at people's feet. It has to be cute. No. No, it's too much. And you know what? I'm going to say something controversial. I don't like balloon garlands. They're bad for the planet. No, I Balloons hate generally are bad for the planet. Um, they're expensive. There's no need to spend that much money on a one-year-old's birthday party unless you just care about the pictures of it. I'm just going to say it. I'm anti-balloon garland. And if that gets me canceled, I don't care. I stand with you, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Garlands. No, I mean, I really don't like them. And um, whenever I see a picture of them, it makes me feel a little bit sad. Like I said, they represent something to me that that I don't like. What can I say? Totally, totally. Well, and the last point that I want to make, and you say this in your article, is that Trad Life content is breathing new life into the old mommy wars. And I have seen that so clearly by how I have been attacked on my social media after talking about trad wives and writing about trad wives. People have such intense feelings about this. And these become such an intense part of their identity that we are just breathing, just breathing new life into the mommy wars where it's this kind of mom versus that kind of mom. Instead of all of us saying, hey, being a woman in the world is hard. Being a mom in the world is hard. Can we all just admit it's hard together and try to do things to prop each other up instead of just trying to break each other down and shit on each other? I know. And I want to say, too, because when I wrote about Trad Wives, I got a lot of feedback. I didn't get any feedback from people, or at least if I did, it didn't get to my Instagram. Like, people who were like, how dare you? Trad wifery is cool, and I am for it. I got, instead, like, people who were agreeing with me. But they were so disgusted by this content. It was so, like, offensive to them. And, I mean, I understand this is what we've been talking about. But, like, it works both ways, right? Like, they are horrified at the other side. And honestly, like, probably if most of us were to encounter one another, like a, you know, indoor freaking trampoline gym during a snowstorm, like we'd probably all have a perfectly fine time chatting. You know, people are usually pretty cool, but it just reinforces this idea that there's like more and more difference among us that's ideological. And I think a lot of it's just done for for, for the gram, basically. For the gram, totally. I mean, when I talk to people, when I actually talk to people instead of just commenting back and forth, we all pretty much get along. That's the truth of it. You know, it's just, or as you said, if we all got stuck in a trampoline park during a snowstorm, that's the start of a fucking horror movie right there. It is. It really is. No, it's too familiar for so many of us. Too familiar for so many of us. We would all find common ground because being being a woman in the world, being a mother in the world, we all have common ground. But I do think that this performative kind of social media strips us of that common ground. And that's that right there. That's what's dangerous about it. It's not It's not necessarily like, oh my gosh, you're inspiring a whole generation of women. It's a little true, but not totally true. It's that it is really erasing the labor and it's pitting women against each other. And that's what sucks. I think that's it. I think that's the real thing that sucks the most. I think we we nailed it um, because 
it is actually harmful socially. Like it has real world consequences. I mean, a lot of other things do too, but this it's not an abstract idea. It's like the discourse is bad. It's like, no, like people's potential um, interactions could be harmed, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And you you talked to Max Reed, who really studies social media a lot. And you asked, do you think that this Tradwife content is clickbait or is it authentic? And he said, it's neither. It's just an audience strategy. And I think that that is true in a lot of cases. This is a content strategy more than anything else. I mean, social networks, as Max says, are designed to engage people through the performance of political and social identity. And if you put that together as a lifestyle, people are going to keep coming back and the algorithm is going to keep feeding you more followers. I think that this is all a content strategy. And if we looked at it more like that, I think, you know, it would it would be a little bit easier to take in. I agree. Yeah. Max, I his perspective was very, um, I found it kind of reassuring in a sense. I mean, it's awful. It's it's very cynical. And I agree with him. But yeah. It's also, you know, people are doing this. This is what the platforms, reassuring is the wrong word. I did not find it reassuring. I just found it very, it made sense to me. Like, I was like, oh, yes, this is what the platforms are designed to make us do. People are simply acting out the roles that they're supposed to be acting out. We're we're interacting with the platforms the way we're supposed to, which is deeply depressing. But um, it feels as though individually we can certainly transcend that kind of dynamic. That is all we've got for today. That's it. And, you know, it's so true, right, that if we were all trapped in a stinky trampoline park in an ice storm, we'd probably be friends. And yes, that is the start of the greatest horror novel of all time. Fine, I'll write it over Christmas break. I'll get it done. It's when we fall into these roles on social media and the ability to comment without repercussion that things do get dangerous. They do. And that's pretty shitty. There was a lot to chew on in this episode. Catherine's column brooding on the cut is always great. And it's not just mom influencer stuff. It's also parenting stuff and being a woman in the world stuff. I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. As always, please reach out to me on the social medias. It's so ironic that I say that. On Instagram, at Joe Piazza Author, shoot me DMs with your episode ideas, all of your thoughts. I genuinely love hearing from each and every one of you. And shameless plug, I will keep doing this until we hit the New York Times bestseller list. Pre-order your copy of The Sicilian Inheritance today. Because otherwise, I may have to start making sourdough videos, and it's going to be ugly. It is going to be ugly, my friends. Go have a great day. You deserve it.